Welcome to another episode of UVA Throws Podcast. Today with us we have Hall of Famer John Godina, five times NCAA champion, four times world champion, two times Olympic medalist, and one of the only few that has ever competed at the Olympic Games, both in discus and shotput for USA, and he did it twice. Three times Olympian, I mean, so many things, among other things, he's NCAA record holder. Still, he's also a great coach of athletes and coach of coaches, founder of Altis, helping numerous people around the world. He's going to talk to us about how he got into throwing, influence his father had in his career, his NCAA record, and something really unusual, how he got into long distance running, something not many throwers can say, and many other things. If you like our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. It helps a lot. And enjoy our interview with one and only John Godina. Coach uh, John Godina, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's a very, uh, very great pleasure to have you here. No problem. I wish I was as well lit as you are. I need to get a light up in the front of the, the yeah. I got this window coming in this way. It's oh, <laughs> good. It's good. Yeah. So, um, what we like to start with usually is tell us how you, obviously you are four-time world champion five-time ncaa champion you are the ncaa record holder for, yeah. for a little bit more than two decades now yeah. uh, even even though guys are throwing far now nobody in college has ever thrown as far as you and you, you were in the best throwing team of all time back in ucla with arthur negas you guys were just incredible Tell us before that we go into that. What? How did you get into throwing in the first place? Why did you play football or something else? Well, I, I played football in high school. Uh, my dad was a discus thrower in college, and he started me in grade school just trying it. And then junior high school, I got into into doing that um, along with football. And so my dad was always my coach from the get go, all the way through high school and everything. So it was. It was very easy for me to to <clears throat> kind of just always be doing it. I really enjoyed football too, that's for sure. I got recruited out of high school to most schools in the college ranks. Mm -hmm. But the uh, the thing that I always liked was that just this process in track and field uh, and process of self-development and self-accountability that's just totally different. And the fact that you can go do it anytime you want to do it, you know? It's it's not you don't need to have eleven guys out there to to uh, to go practice what you're you're trying to get done. So mm -hmm. so yeah, no, it was uh, it it was it was a there was a football career in there uh, that's for sure. But it was a choice, an active choice to just stop the football career and just go into track. No, it's a definitely individual sport, and you control you control the cards more than uh, other sports, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, how was how was being at UCLA at the time? And this is, you know, this is every kid's dream to be obviously a good thrower, uh, you know, the best of all time in the NCAA, but to be with a great team as well and a great coach, this was just the golden time. Something like you guys had rarely can be <laughs> replicated, right? Yeah. Uh, there was a year that we, in UVA, we had a great team, and I was, I was like, oh, it's the best team ever. And they're like, okay, okay. People are like, calm down. What about UCLA? <laughs> yeah. You guys. 90, were, no, yeah. Yeah, 95 UCLA was something different. It was, uh, I mean, first, third, and fourth in men's shot. We won five of the seven throwing events. There wasn't eight at the time. Women weren't throwing hammer yet. 
at that time. So we won five out of seven. Wow. I don't even know how many points we scored on the men's and women's side, but we had, um, yeah. I guess we had one, two, three, four, five, five of us that would go onto the U.S. team at one point or another. Oh, wow. Oh, and then one of them that probably could have, but he was too busy becoming an NFL football Hall of Famer. He, Jonathan he Ogden. Super Bowl as well? Or he, what's that? He won Super Bowl. No, he was Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, he won. Yeah, he won Super Bowl too. Yeah, yeah. with the Ravens. So <laughs> one of my favorite things in the world is watching that '95 uh, championship, and mm. and I end up jumping on top of Mark Parlin and John Ogden, and I just look like a little kid on top of. <laughs> John, (laughs) I'm not a small guy, but I just look like like a little baby sitting on top of him. So he was a big dude. Incredible. How how uh, how important was that for you for your development? Having those teammates uh, around. You obviously you know what you were looking for, but having that. Yeah, I think it was critical. I think it was critical because it was an Art Venegas program, meaning art art and he was so hard on people for good reasons because he knew exactly what you could do, but to endure that process, it, it's a lot better when you've got people in it with you that, that you can count on, you know? Yeah. So I think that, I think that the management of the stress loads, the psychological stress loads, it was very critical to have that kind of a quality team to, to yeah. make it happen. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was, it's, it was a very, very special time. In fact, I tell people this all the time, that trophy from 95 Outdoors, that's, that's every bit as important, if not more so to me, than the world championships and Olympic medals, you know? Wow. And you, and you won four world, uh, world titles and two Olympic yeah. medals. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. I got, I, that's, I think I look at it too, because I, I, this is like a second life for me, right? I, I look back on it and, and I'm, it is pretty cool with all the stuff that Art and I did together yeah. to look at the numbers and the stats of different things that, that I would, at the time, you don't recognize what you're up to, you know? Yeah, yeah. And when you realize that, that yeah. nine medals is a lot, <laughs> but you don't think of it at the time. You think about, oh, I missed two or I missed three <laughs> that I should have gotten there, you know, very specific thoughts about, you know, what you're, what you're supposed to be doing, not realizing until it's all over. And then I even needed more time to separate from it. Yeah. To really reflect on what, what we accomplished together. So it's, it was pretty cool. That's it just, I mean, the fact that this still stands, still stands as the NCAA record and is the best it, performance of any throw. It is. You, is that the Jersey? That's the cover from track and field news. And this is actually, I dug out, I, I dug out the dirt from the field. Oh, no way. So that's a, that's a peat. It's like a little plastic dish filled with the dirt from where that's, it landed. Wow, that's a part of history right there. there that's better than a ring. There we go. That's it. Wow. Uh, yeah, 95, Knoxville. Yeah, Tennessee. Yeah. So actually, yeah. I didn't display any of this stuff. And then my wife got mad at me and she, she started putting out all the trophies and all that stuff out there. I've never, never done that till about two or three years ago. No, it's it's uh, but, but wow, being a, it's 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 great to see. And you were like this. And I remember when I first met you. This was two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Um, as much as ex- as accomplished you are, you are 
very humble and very open to uh, athletes. You are, you know what you achieve, but you also are very welcoming. Uh, and that's maybe, uh, I'm sure that's why you didn't want to just flash out there. Your results speak for themselves. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. that's great to see always. When you see a champion who is very uh, friendly and willing to share the knowledge as well. Um, well, and that's that's something I learned from my dad, right? I mean, he's coached for, geez, 50 years now and uh, very successful. He's, I think he's had 35 or 40 state champions in throwing and he helped to develop USA track and fields coaches education programs. And, and he, he's done it all literally other than what the high schools might pay him to coach a season. He's never asked for anything, you know, so he was always, it was always important to kind of just give it back. So that's, that's kind of the nature of, of what he brought to the table for me. And, and uh, I'm just, I'm thankful that, that I got the chance to be coached by him. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and you can see this. We always talk about how uh, for, for athletes in college and coaches, how important are those coaches from the beginning who instilled that, uh, a value in us, right? Or in their athletes, like, hey, this is this is what I want to teach you. This is what I thought. Uh, I learned from so many others, and it's something special when you have that coach who, like you said, Vanegas, he will push you because uh, he knew what you can do, right? And when you see somebody to believe in you, really, not just because he wants points from you, that's that's goes way way further than uh, than anything, right? And the really cool part when you have him believing in you then you really believe it yourself because you know he's seen it all i mean yeah the guy's seen it all he's done it all i mean he's got four of us over 22 meters four or five i don't know how many guys he's coached over 22 meters and how many olympians and medals he's coached but, oh, yeah. Yeah. i mean i don't think I, I do not know of anybody particularly in shot but who's a more successful throws coach than he's been over the course of his lifetime and how many coaches so he coached, right? I know. Yeah. That's the crazy part is how many really good coaches came from him, you know, and it's, it's amazing. So there's something to it. There's something to his systems and his psychology that, that really, really carry through and they're proven out over generations at this point. Yeah. Now, is that reason now we, we talked about how uh, in the previous podcast, how difficult sometimes is for athletes who were as successful as you are, let's say, to get into their second phase. Now, seeing that you what you have done um, from perspective of an athlete and you're still pushing forward and then you develop this and you uh, own this company, started coaching coaches, right? Is this the reason you made it, uh, started that company? That is oh, now when the I, corona hit, it's perfect timing. You know what? I originally started the company for throwers. It was originally the World Throw Center. And I would coach elite throwers and make sure they had a place to train. And, and then also do lots of, I developed my own coach's education system for throws. And we did lots of clinics and camps. And we even had satellite facilities with, with trusted partners who would deliver our systems too up in Northern California. And, uh, and so for us, when, when I started, when I say us, it was just me for a, quite a, some time just being a workhorse on that side of stuff. But it really was about giving elite athletes a home and, and introducing young athletes and coaches to 
you know, what, what they could be doing develop the sport from the bottom up and then take care of the people at the top as much as possible. And we transitioned into doing that in all different event groups. Um, um, and it just so happens that the coach's education I used to deliver in person was delivered much more efficiently and scalable through online education, which is, I'm so happy that we took it that direction. And, and it's pretty cool to see how many thousands and thousands of coaches around the world have taken all of our online education. I was actually just on a call um, and uh, it's almost a 50-50 split on U.S. versus international coaches mm. as far as where the purchases are, which which is great. It means that, that we're, that's the scalability and the reach that we were trying to get, you know, because you can only do so much in person. So yeah. I'm glad we took it that direction. In fact, by the way, for mm. the audience there, we did just launch two a month or two ago we launched our throws course through Altis, A-L-T-I-S dot world. And Don Babbitt is the person that did the, did the throws program for us. Mm -hmm. And it's stellar. I mean, it's not just for coaches, it's for athletes who really care to, to dive in and learn as much as possible about the throws. It's not very expensive. I believe it's $130 or something wow. for a lot of information. A lot of information. Definitely, so. guys, check it out. I checked it out uh, a couple months ago uh, when I first uh, ran into it, and it's definitely worth it. And it's definitely uh, something you don't see at all. That there's nothing like it. And the, the fact that you are willing to share your knowledge, to pay forward, like you said, uh, with a, with a, with a minimal with a minimal uh, 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 ability to reach your information. Now, you used to people. I remember people flew all over the world, right, to get something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I remember people coming uh, to your camp in Arizona from all over. Jordan Young, one of my athletes from Canada, right? You yeah. had athletes from China, India. Um, yeah. Singapore. Korea. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's, it's cool when you can do it in person, too. Of course, that's preferable. <clears throat> but not everybody can afford to get there in person. And, and you, can only, you, you can't replicate yourself. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't coach. 3,000 people in a year, but yeah. you know, 3,000 people can take our courses, which is great. So, Do you think, I, I, this is my thought, that uh, sport is getting so much better now uh, or across the scale because of that, because of ease yes. of getting into information. Uh, so yep. if you knew what you knew, uh, now, if you knew what you know now, 95, <laughs> how far yeah. would you think? Honestly, <laughs> I think the biggest thing is on the technical side of stuff, just having YouTube give people access to see what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. yeah. You, when you, when we were growing up, I'm way older than you. Yep. I guess I'm not way older, 48, but Eight, 10 years ago. we were growing up. Yeah. When we were growing up, I mean, there wasn't even really videotape. Videotape was just starting. Yeah. I remember the first time, in high school, we got this big old over the shoulder VHS recorder so I could see myself throwing. Wow. So you couldn't see, I remember I read articles to tell you what to do. Yeah. That's how you would get the information. Yeah. So you never saw it. Your eyes couldn't see it and, yeah. and you just couldn't access even the basics of movement yeah. you know, other than written word. Um, I think that's a huge thing. Now I do think too that there's also a negative, which is you could you're a coach now you tell me but there's a lot of people out there that probably get too much information don't know how to filter it and and they're yeah. plucking all the wrong parts of, mm. 
a variety of different uh, yeah. kind of directions. So, so knowing how to filter that, and that's where coaches will never be replaced because information's information, but what do you use and how do you filter it? And the coach becomes the filter. And, and I do think that right now, these days, coaches are, for, for the athletes who are very interested and want to get information, the coach becomes much more of a working partner than a dictator that it would have been back in the eighties when I was growing up. Right. Because, because the kids do know some stuff and trying to figure out what works best for them is, is, is the direction it's gone towards. No, and I, that's exactly, uh, and I think coaches have issues also, uh, coaches who are not well, well coached, I would say, right. They have issue with that because now these kids are getting so much information. And if you're not familiar with all the information they're getting, you are not really able to get them the right one, right? To pick one good. Yeah. Uh, what I usually do, I say, okay, the person you're looking at, uh, did, he, did he throw over 22, right? Okay, let, let's find something far and then we can kind of experiment with uh, positions, right? Uh, but if it's, if it's not scalable like that, then uh, it's, it's so hard because they get so much. And I think with a short, not a short intention span, but everything comes so easy these days. Yeah. And the kids are just, okay, this is good. You know, get over the left, but this, this thing also, but my head, but my, like, let's focus on one or two things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what, what the, other thing, the other thing I tell kids too, when I do clinics or presentations is that they, they also have to understand they're going to see a lot of stuff online and they're going to say, Oh, Joe Kovacs does this or, or, you know, John Gadina does that, or so that's what I need to do. Not realizing that they are not physically capable of doing some of these things. Yeah. So you could be going down a rabbit hole that costs you half a season of trying to do something that you aren't capable of doing. Yeah. Maybe because of straight ability, maybe because of strength levels and maturity. Just maybe you'll do it later, but you're not ready for it. Yeah. And that's what a good coach will recognize too: is that okay maybe your senior year we can work on that but we got to get you to these other things first to, to get that done yeah no that's it's, it's so true uh the skill levels and somebody uh like tom walsh uh, and or somebody like joe kovac they have different strengths right like if you can bench press a car <laughs> you can yeah. right? <laughs> christian uh, taught me that <laughs> oh my god <laughs> It's yeah, that's the, the biggest bench press I've ever seen. And that the biggest squat I've ever seen is Joe Kovac. Have you seen that uh, the other day? That, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that. I honestly, I, I sent it to like 25 people. I said, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Because I, I couldn't even imagine that. I mean, I, yeah. is, is there, you know, you, you know this, is there such a thing as too strong? No. <laughs> Only when your body explodes and you get hurt. That's the only time you get too strong. Yeah. If you're not getting hurt, it's why stop? You know, as long as, as long as you're not doing too much slow movement and getting strong there and sacrificing the speed and power side of stuff. But I always view I always view strength training as as a very I really macro cycled things where there was a phase of the year for everything, and moving as much heavy weight as possible in a slow fashion early on with a slow transition into power and Olympic movements mm -hmm. that gives you kind of that base to, I mean, if, if I can get to a 700 pound squat and a 700 pound deadlift, now that first 
six to 12 inches of my clean three months later gets a lot easier. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, so it's, right. You, but you just got to know how to move between these phases and tie them all together. It's like, you're trying to tell a story yeah. over a 12 month span and you got to develop your plot along the way until you get mm. to that, to that climax, you know, that so, is, that was one of my questions that the uh, audience had. How do you peak for the big meets? Because you obviously did a great job. Is that what you have yeah. done? Yeah, I think, oh, excuse me, my ribs hurt. I crashed on a mountain bike the other day. So I shouldn't have moved like that. <laughs> is that, <laughs> but, is that uh, a, new, a new thing you're doing now? You did a marathon. I, I want to talk no, about marathon at the end. but <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not a new thing. I, it was a thing I did for about 30 minutes one afternoon in Sedona. And I just slammed onto my side, hit the deck, bruise my ribs oh, and I'm not doing it again. I'm okay. Okay. I just don't want to get hurt because I'm having it too much fun with the running. Bro. Don't, yeah. don't yeah. can't believe I said that, <laughs> but the peak side of stuff. No, uh, no thrower ever said that. <laughs> I know. You know what? I, I know yeah. we'll get into that. But yeah. We'll, the, we'll uh, definitely want to talk about it. <laughs> the uh, peaking side yeah. of stuff. It was very interesting because all of this approach to peaking, um, it was literally taught to me by my dad in high school and this approach to how do you physically prepare for it yeah and how do you psychologically prepare for that moment at the end you know mm. um, and I, I think that there's also a certain mental makeup certain kind of people are nervous under pressure and some people aren't so much and you know it's, it's kind of i compare it to like an Alex Honnold, the, the free solo guy, where he actually is totally calm under those stressful situations, but his, he's trained his body to just do that, right? It, just mm -hmm. to take it down a notch or he dies. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always felt very calm the last couple of weeks leading into these big meets. Okay. Uh, the, uh, so, what I've tried to do is keep everything as simple as possible at every moment throughout the year and particularly at the end. And where a lot of the people that I saw that I competed against started adding in more work on certain technical things or even mm -hmm. maintained lifting uh, schedules that, that were kind of straight line linear on volume to, to mm -hmm. kind of stay consistent through the end of the year. I would be dropping off of everything uh, okay. to the point that the last 10 days before a major championship, I literally would not lift. I wouldn't do any lifting. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would do sprinting. Um, I might do some super light, fast stuff, like really very low volume, but mm -hmm. it'd be sprinting, it'd be jumping, it'd be throwing. Um, I tell people this all the time. That anytime I got to a major championship physically, I was, probably in the, the kind of the worst shape physically because there's a lifting weight because I wasn't lifting weights. I, I mean, I could actually, you know, if you, if you don't time it right, it's dangerous, but I could actually kind of start feeling a little bit of shrinking in the body size at yeah. that time too. And I would also remove myself from creatine about five days out to seven days out. Mm -hmm. There goes another four or five pounds. And so everything lighter, what, but what that gives you is you're lighter, but it also gives you, you remove the lifting and now you've also increased your flexibility because you've gotten rid of the retention on creatine and your load. So now everything's more relaxed. And when the body's relaxed, the mind's relaxed and you're able to, to move 
forward without having any question about where your body's supposed to be. I've never doubted that my body was physical, other than some years where I had some major injuries during the year. If I had a normal training year, I was always physically ready. Wow. And I and it wasn't like if, if I missed it was only by a percentage point or two. It wasn't like oh boy did I screw this up, you know. Wow. Uh, so it makes it really easy to relax and do what you're supposed to do. That's for sure. And then leading into those last couple of weeks, I found myself and it, and I didn't even notice it until I got older that I would be doing this. But on the on the everyday lifestyle and the psychological side of stuff, I started paring down that as well, not even noticing where the TV was on less drive into practice. The radio wasn't on Uh Uh, all of these things that were just static. They slowly got, they'd slowly disappeared out of, out of the kind of the picture where it was very, very pigeonholed and focused into what needed to get done. So there wasn't something, uh, there was something that you did unconsciously. I did unconsciously when I was younger. The one time I really noticed it was when I was driving from my apartment in Santa Monica over to UCLA and started the drive and I was on Santa Monica Boulevard and I just clicked the radio off going, but I normally would have it on like everybody else. And I go, and I didn't think to do it. I just did it. And then I realized, Hey, this is kind of what I do. Mm. And, And and it, it just helped me to, to lock it in. Um, and now the good part is, is from that little moment, I learned that and it made it a lot easier at that point too, to, to know, okay, I don't have to accidentally do that. I can consciously remove distraction and then I'm even further maximizing my chance of success. So, um, and it, it truthfully, it came down to the, even as strongly as, trying to get rid of human interaction that wasn't productive for me Mm. relationships that that weren't positive for me as an athlete they they just somehow disappeared the last couple months before major change laser laser focus you had yeah had to that's that's what you hear from uh, a lot of a lot of champions like yourself. You know, Tom Brady is, is famous for that, like laser focus, right? There's just uh, eyes and prize, right? Um, the reason I ask you this uh, uh, about consciously doing, I remember um, Reese Hoffa before competitions, especially major competitions, he would uh, only thing he would watch was Teletubbies. So he <laughs> he said it will be because he doesn't have to think, right? It's Mindless. so simple. It's yep. so simple. He's watching something. He's distracting himself, and obviously, it worked amazing for him too. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's and for me, I like I like to stay in my own head. I didn't want any distractions. So that's just a subtle difference, but I think it's the same idea, right? Is yeah. you, you, he's 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 substituting that for all of the other distractions. Whereas I prefer that to just try and get away from all of the distractions. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need a distraction from distractions. I just I prefer just to get quiet. Yeah, that's. Uh, would you suggest that um, to your athletes, or do you? Did you? You have obviously coached a lot of uh, great athletes uh, as well. Uh, finalists, Vikas is one of our that I have competed with. Uh, do you uh, recommend that to everybody, or no? And when I coached, I spent that time coaching. It was always with people that were already pretty well established and kind of knew what they needed to do. So to change that is almost that's a pretty big risk right 
yeah. You know, so that's that was something I didn't really approach with them on that side of stuff. And that's that's why it's it's hard to be it's hard to be a coach. You know, I couldn't imagine coaching at the Olympic Training Center where you get all of these different techniques and personalities mm. and, and all this stuff, but it, they're, everybody's old enough where that's how they are. Yeah. And change is tough to, yeah. to do at that age. Yeah. No, I, you can see that in, uh, yes, uh, approach with, 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 with great throwers, with champions uh, like yourself. I know uh, some guys that would uh, warm up for an hour and a half. Some guys don't warm up at all. Uh, you have somebody like Kovac who throws, what, 50 throws. He changed his approach now a little bit. Uh, and yeah. he would go, is that something that uh, Art was pushing? That, that warm-up, I never seen that. <laughs> I haven't seen that much. Yeah. yeah, I think I had a lot of warm-up. Actually, the guys used to make fun of me because I took more, way more warm-up throws than most people. Yeah. But I wasn't looking – what I was looking for – was so it's your fault (laughs) (laughs) what i was looking for was was to just find that comfortable groove right Mm. and art was looking to see a big throw in warm-ups he wanted to see something far Mm. i wanted to find that groove for six to ten throws and then give him one little gift at the end of a big one so that he's happy (laughs) and comfortable with where we're going with the competition Mm. But I needed to I needed to feel that movement because uh, I was never a violent thrower who could just turn it on. Mm. I was smaller than most of the throwers. I was weaker than most of the throwers, and I depended upon speed and efficiency and smoothness of movement to get the job done. Yeah. Uh, so I needed to feel it a little bit more than the other guys needed to feel it. You know, it's just I didn't have three hundred and. Yeah. 20 or 30 pounds behind it. That was 285, 290, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. So I never broke 300 pounds in my life. Mm. So I was very, I mean, it was, I think that the only two of us that can say that is me and Adam. I think everybody else that I ever competed against was three plus and way over three, really. Way over, yeah. Yeah, we had some 350s out there right now throwing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that also is a part of the reason why arts system and what I taught through my camps and clinics to kids, really, it's proven out to work really well because what I did at being undersized mm-hmm. really shows that technique can even up the odds with people that are physically superior. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was if I had anything on these guys, it was that I, I'm pretty darn confident I could have beaten any of them in the sprint. Yeah. But other than that, they, they had all of these other physical attributes mm. that I just didn't have. I was lucky that I found the right coach that could maximize yeah. results from almost anybody. And if mm. you look at what he did with that technique, it, and that's what's transitioned to Dave Dumble's coaching and Don Babbitt's coaching yeah. and John Frazier's coaching, yeah. it, that, they all use the same base. Yeah. Uh, technique uh, but what you see with art in particular is he took really kind of mid-level recruits and turned them into scorers at nationals constantly wow. now the top top people that's that's kind of a different game right yeah. but mm. the fact that he had so many dozens of people that were just okay mm. become very good that's the cool part you know yeah. What what was it? So what was he focused? Because you, you guys were notoriously strong, but you were notoriously good technicians too. 
was there a phase that, that you guys were focused on technique, like you said, maybe first couple of years and then get strong? Because uh, it's hard to get both. <laughs> yeah, we got, we, we went through the approach of as soon as we showed up on campus, every single male is going to redshirt because he's going to blast the weight room from the start and get you as strong as you possibly can from the start. We never stopped trying to get stronger and faster. Yeah. Just blast, blast, blast. Then he would break the year up technically. So we would start at UCLA, you know, at the top of the track at UCLA what, yeah. is where we had our weight room and we had this wall and we would just throw the indoor shots into the wall. I don't know. I don't know. Our coach, our head coach must have just been frustrated because we would literally bust probably 10 to 20 shots every year, just smashing them into the wall oh, over wow. and over. So budget. you had a good budget. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Back when UCLA football was good, we had a budget. So, <laughs> and basketball, yep. but, uh, the, uh, the thing that he would do is do that with those, with those drills and then slowly transition. I think what he did, it was really smart because at the time indoors was, was something, but it wasn't as big as it is now. Yeah. He would treat indoor track as a reward and almost a beta test for where you were. And mm. we would only do three or four indoor meets and that was it. But it was like just enough to shake it up for you to test all of the technical work you're doing and how does it hold up under pressure, mm. finish that, and then go back into fixing everything for outdoors. So we had these phases of, of really basic drill prep, kind of transition into throwing with a short burst of competition, and then let's get back into to it all again and then get ready for the outdoors. So that's yeah that's great and it's even more impressive when you have somebody who's throwing two events and throwing two events really far uh obviously you did you discuss you throw almost 70 meters uh how was that throw how was uh throwing you have discus throwers you have shoppers you have shoppers who can throw discus okay or discus throwers who can shot throw shopper okay but you were really good at both um uh, and it took you a while to figure out which one you're going to do, <laughs> but you did yeah. both the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I think for, I started as a discus throw. I didn't throw, I didn't throw rotational shot foot till late halfway through my freshman year in college. I was a glider in shot foot in high school and, in. Oh, and I, I, and I came in gliding and I didn't cha change until about February, I think my freshman year. Huh. So, um so discus was always kind of the natural feel for me mm. um i feel like that i did a decent job of managing the two but there's some couple of very especially when you get to the top levels there's some very different aspects to how you should finish and move with the shot and the discus especially how the vertical components of the shot but it it really kind of feeling the differences between those two becomes increasingly difficult the faster you go and the farther you go. But um, I think we managed it pretty well. We kind of pulled out of it, I think it was in 99 or two, 2001, sorry. It was 2001 when we kind of pulled out of the two event approach. Mm. And that was strictly because I was tired. Okay. And it was, it was a lot to train both of those events. Uh, as a professor so, or, yeah. or both as a college and professor? College wasn't too bad because I was younger, right? Yeah. You, know, you, you start getting up in there close to 30-ish yeah. and remembering that I kept getting stronger until I was probably at my strongest between 2000 and 2003. So 
I was still loading the weights plus doing both events plus getting older. Yeah. So yeah. something had to give. Yeah. The money. Yeah, you threw the PR and shot in 2005, right? Um, yeah, 2005. And that was after I transitioned out of LA into Arizona. I just needed a new life change, right? I was a Wyoming kid that had lived in LA for 14 yeah. years. So I was lucky Dave Dumble coached ASU. So, and he, would, he used right. to be my roommate. So I just oh, wow. popped out and, and changed it over. But, but yeah, I mean, the two event thing was great fun. And I do sometimes wonder if I had just done discus and not shot. But, you know, it's, it was really hard to choose to be a, a discus thrower at that time versus a shot putter because a shot was the thing, man. And it yeah. still is somewhat the thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. But when, when it was me and Christian and Reese and Adam mm. putting on shows and doing what we were doing, I mean, that was something special that I don't know if younger athletes know what that was. I mean, it was, that was kind of the, the thing. You know, we, were, yeah. we were, we were the thing. I think the IAAF at the time did a survey as to what events people wanted to watch the most. And yeah. it was the men's hundred and then the men's shot put. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, as can't walk away from that to go do discus. So, yeah. No, yeah, you guys, I mean, it's somebody like Nelson, too, right? He can put up a show, and you guys were all out there. You never know who's going to win. Who, it's still crazy in U.S., but at your time when your guys were throwing, you never know who's going to make Olympics. You have, you know, five, six guys who can win medals at the yeah. Olympics, but then you have to make a team first. So how, how difficult was that? I know in Europe, uh, shot putters always, you know, talk about, oh, yeah, Americans are throwing far, but they have to go through trials first. And then by the time they come to Olympics or World Championships, they're going to be a little tired. Uh, yeah. How was that to speak for both? Um, honestly, I think the hardest part wasn't the, the two competitions. It's what do you do with the time in between? Because once you do the U.S. Championship, yeah. now if you want to keep competing, you've got two choices. Number one is you have to go fly halfway around the world to try and keep competing and getting ready, yeah. which for throwers sucks because you've got to lift weights. And back then there weren't weight rooms available in Europe. Yeah. It was not easy to find a place to do the job. But a good bar, right? A good bar. Yeah, exactly. So the other option was stay at home and just try and find meats. Um, I was lucky. I lived in a big city that had a strong summer kind of track club mm -hmm. schedule. I literally would do prep meets between the U.S. Championships or Olympic Trials and the big meets at Birmingham High School. And I was literally throwing against 12-year-old girls and 80-year-old men. And just make it, you just make it work, right? You turn it into important. Mm. You go, okay, this is important. We're going to do it this way, this yeah. way, this way. And, and I think I threw 71 feet at, at Birmingham High School. And that's good, you know. Yeah. It, that's good that you have that. I couldn't have done that. That that's uh, Art Venegas special. Those meets aren't a big deal without somebody like him making sure you know it's a big deal. You know, so yeah. make it work. No, that's impressive. That uh, it's, it's, it's so, and you see this a lot of young guys uh, who have potential, and then after college, when they find themselves in that period of professionalism, that they have this uh, uh, time they have to rely on themselves, they get they get lost. It, it's it's hard to have your why, right? I have your why. And it's something that you obviously had over the years that's really impressive. And I can see that 
Arvanegas was a, a, um, a good a good coach to have uh, at that time too. Because uh, yeah, it's uh, it's like psychologically being a thrower, peaking at the right time, throwing when one centimeter or two centimeters can make you a first or third or fourth, right? Yeah. Uh, that's something that uh, many uh, don't think about until they, they get to that point. Uh, well, is there yeah. was there a competition that you were not that you were not ready as much as you wanted to be ready? '96 Olympics, I had dropped a bar on my chest. I was bench pressing 425, dropped it on my chest. Oh. And that was in March or April. And it took me a long time to get recovered. If you look at the pictures from 96, I was literally fat as can be because I couldn't, I couldn't train ah. for a couple of months in the middle of the season. So making a team was, was good. Um, and even getting silver was good. You go good, second, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but it was just – that one was particularly bad because I just wasn't in the physical condition I should have been, but it is what it is, right? Uh, so. well, you got you got four goals, two medals. That's I, I think that's most um, than anybody can say uh, in world championships, right? Um, that's uh, in, so in terms of this, because I just wanted to ask you during that time, Anthony Washington was throwing. He had this yeah. special style. What do you think about him and his uh, technique? Works for him, just right. like Adam Nelson's works for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and, yeah. and that's the thing too, is that, and and that that is one thing that's very interesting, is when I was throwing, the variability in technique was much greater, mm-hmm. and that goes back to we didn't grow up watching YouTube. We didn't see how all the great people did it. Yeah. So you, I guarantee you, Anthony grew up very similar to me, which was you go out and you throw, you just and throw, then the huh? coach tells you what to do, and you kind of start trying to feel where it works and feel this and feel that. Um, It's very much like golf these days. Golf swings are all very similar. You go back 50 years and watch the films and people look a lot more variable than they do now. Uh, I think that's part of why you've kind of refined all of the the technique. Now you've got a bunch of guys that are your your eighth place guy is is much higher level now because they have all this techniques much more refined and yeah. the important stuff is getting done yeah. but uh but i always thought it was cool that that not everybody threw the same and trying to figure out what they're doing was half the fun like what is it i don't even understand what they're doing yeah al order i don't understand what that guy was doing either i don't know if you've seen that film throwing discus up just, behind his back right and then whatever down. man Four gold medals, so yeah. can't say anything about it. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. But yeah. geez, yeah. It, I mean, people people that are you know kind of uh, technical snobs would just yeah. have a heart attack if they really took the time to watch how many guys do super far with yeah. weird stuff going on. Yeah, no, it, it, it's incredible uh, how um, and you, you got to see. This is what Tore Gustafsson, right? He talked. He talked about Koji Marafuchi and his technique, and he said uh, they tried to change his orbit a little bit, but it didn't work because Koji just wasn't powerful in that position, yeah. right? So his body couldn't take it, even though biomechanically it didn't make sense. It obviously, uh, obviously worked for him. So I think that it goes back to what you said. There's so much information out there, but you have to follow it, and then you have to uh, find what works for you, and just listen to the implement sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and you can't, you know, everybody's body is different, and especially as you're getting at the very top top levels of of this thing, everybody's body is, you know, if you're a slight percentage point different in 
torso flexibility that changes a lot of stuff you got to do you know so um, i was always careful not to criticize anybody's technique uh, i could enjoy being befuddled by it <laughs> but i would never say you can't do it that way you know yeah and if, if you ever thought that you could say that to anybody, then you need to go have a sit down conversation and get Adam Nelson's dissertation on movement because, you know, that's, that's a different planet. I don't know. He, he literally came out of a spaceship with that stuff and, and it worked great. I saw a video of him, uh, Coach Babbitt uh, showed us uh, when I was at Georgia 2005. Uh, Coach Babbitt would give us, send us uh, show us these videos, right? All videos. This is, again, before kind of internet uh, blew up. And he showed a video of Adam Nelson throwing high school almost the same way. Almost the same. Yeah. Kid, you see the kid, and he just wraps around. <laughs> it's like, yeah. who thought him that? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, it's what, fun, was a, yeah. what was some of your favorite meets that you ever had? Uh, except, obviously, uh, NCA. <laughs> yeah, this one. Uh, NCAAs. Um, I really enjoyed Edmonton 2001. That was a good one. Mm. And I actually really enjoyed Athens um, because of the discus there. I, I knew I had to go 65 to have a chance at a medal. I did that and I just, I think I only missed the bronze by like 60 centimeters there or something, 50 centimeters, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah, but that was, that was fun because, you know, leaving with a gold and almost getting a medal would have been, it would have been great to get that medal. But, uh, but that's when I really, that was 97. Mm. And that was rewarding because I came after that 96 year where I got the, the weight dropped on my chest and didn't really have the success I wanted in 96. It was nice to, to feel it come back after that to back to where it yeah. was in 95, you know, so. Was that, was that, you would say that was your worst injury uh, that you had? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really was. And then I had a torn labrum, but I've dealt with that literally for almost 10 years. I didn't, I didn't get that fixed until nine or 2006 or so six six or seven and i first felt it probably in 97. wow so the labrum is not a big deal if you just kind of work around it i didn't do any overhead lifting my whole career anyway so it didn't really matter all that much um, so and then it got real bad after 2005 and i had to get it done and mm. got that fixed Wow. Well, that's, uh, yeah. So not being able to do a, a jerk either or push press. No, never. I didn't, I didn't hardly ever do anything overhead. My dad has oh. bad shoulders genetically too. He can't do an overhead. Wow. Anytime I would try to, it wouldn't be more than two or three workouts before my shoulders were just wrecked. So oh. um, didn't do incline press. Didn't do that's, overhead. That's uh. would you say that's, I mean, if you were able to do that, cause a lot of shot putters, I mean, that's their main thing, right? Uh, push, uh, push, jerk, and jerk, and incline bench. Yeah, I honestly. Do you train your athletes to do it? Your shot putters, I say. Um, yeah, I like to have push presses and and, and not necessarily jerks, but push presses. Um, but I've, and I could go into if I had a, my video, I could kind of do a technical breakdown. Mm. as to how we did stuff that made that vertical upper body component not so important we oh, did wow. a very vertical movement out of the the legs mm. that most people didn't do which kind of positioned me to really keep it more focused on the bench press than anything mm. vertical so 
luckily the technical piece was in place that that particular physical weakness didn't really matter yeah that's yeah well when you were when you're uh taking everything seriously you take detail seriously right so your 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 technique was the main thing um yeah in terms of just a couple more throw throws questions that i have uh now you see throwers have qualifying and then two days later finals that's would so you want it to have that they're soft they're soft <laughs> Not even a, it's not even a sport when you do it that way. I remember, I remember me and Adam and Reese in Edmonton yeah. on a bus at four in the morning going to qualifying because we had to do the qualifying. Yeah. Then we hurried back, went to sleep for a while, and then get back on the bus and go back to your final. That's and yeah. 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 You got to be in shape for that, man. Yeah. And then, by the way, see you, see you in 48 hours for your discus qualifier. How? Yes. <laughs> so you would have – you. Would, that's, that's – I don't think anybody has done that. Uh, well, Rudiger Smith had a good year in 2007, right? Yeah, uh, but, but, yeah, you guys, I mean, to be able – but other than you two, I don't, I don't think anybody has ever done that. Being finals and compete for medals and win medals uh, back and forth. So you have, you're yeah. basically like a sprinter. You will have your relay. You will have your <laughs> – Exactly. And I do think that I honestly do believe that that had a large effect on why I never got a medal in discus because yeah. it, it would actually not be that bad if it, they did it backwards. It was always shot put the oh. first day. They needed some medals, if, right? Yeah. If they had done discus the first day and stacked both of them, physically speaking, it's a different animal. Mm. I would have been fine turning around and doing the shot because yeah. discus didn't take anything out of you. It's yeah. just easy comparatively, you know. So, yeah. But it is what it is, and and uh, I I definitely enjoyed the challenge. Yeah. Well, you have the the world record. If you will combine chopper and discus, you have the world record. Uh, yeah, there's some points thing, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you find that? I put a link in. Put a link in this video. I'll check. Below. Yes, I'll check. Uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was checking for that. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll do like five events. Who did five events? Uh, Mac Wilkins, Multi Mac. He did everything. Oh my God. Yeah, he did all of them. Um, yeah. But yeah, you done. He threw 21 something, 21 20 in shot, 70, 90. But you obviously uh, did a little better. <laughs> now, was, was Andy Bloom ahead of him on the list? Ooh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, Andy was a beast. Because he threw also 69, right? Oh, did he, he? Threw, he threw high 68s. Yeah, 68, something, yeah, yeah. But he threw the shot further than Mac. Yeah. Okay. he threw, I think he threw over, did he break 22 meters, Andy? Uh, 2180, uh, that's what I'm thinking about for some reason right now. We need a data guy on the corner. I know. When you do these, you need another person over there just pulling I know, somebody. <laughs> like Joe Roman has uh, Jamie, right? Like, hey, yeah, wait, you, need a, you need a Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, I'll get Jamie to check it. Uh, but no, that's incredible, and that's uh, and that's one of the reasons why people look at your technique, both discus and shot put. Um, so that's uh, yeah, what what you have done and what you have doing with the coaches, uh, it's incredible. What would you? Oh, I had a lot of high school athletes uh, following us. They had questions about uh, suggesting what would you do differently in high school. What do you suggest kids in high school who don't have coaches or want to learn more? What should they do? Um, well. The first part is the hard part, right? Is that you're lucky if you have a competent throws coach, someone that really knows what they're doing at the high school level. Right. That's not very common. Um, 
the good news is that the internet exists. There's a lot of online coaching in it. So you can at least get that if you're in a remote area. And if you're in a larger city, almost always there's a couple of guys that will do coaching privately and, and they can help you out with, with getting things for it. Even, you know, even if it's just on a very small way, you know, say it's once a month or, or whatever that they can help you out. And there's that too. So um, that'd be my first thing would be if you don't have a coach, make it your job to find a coach. <laughs> it's been, yeah. take some of the time that you would spend throwing all by yourself, you know, take a half an hour out of that every day until you go and find a coach and then your time will be much better spent from that point forward. Yeah, do your um, research, right? Yeah, exactly. And as far as what I would do differently in high school, I honestly, I was, uh, I'm a no regrets kind of guy. I don't think I would have changed much. I think, you know, the, the one thing that most people ask is, well, why did, wouldn't you have, if you know now, wouldn't you be a spinner in high school? And my answer is no, I wouldn't. At the time, I wasn't physically ready to try and make both rotational events work together, you know? So that worked great. Yeah. Would, would you change your lifting plan now? We did bigger, faster, stronger, very basic, move a lot of weight, do a lot of cleans, all of the stuff, you know, do your sprints. Yeah. I even sprinted out of blocks when I was in high school, out of sprinter blocks, you know? So. You know, I there's not much I would change at all. Well, it worked well, right? Yeah. <laughs> it worked I, really well. I, I'm I'm not going to try and do revisionist history and yeah. figure out a way I could squeeze ten more feet out of that discus throw in high school. I'd rather just stick with what I got. Yeah. Now you obviously um, are a champion, and then you are trying to get better in every way, in every way, in 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 in, in anything that you do, right? Um, every day, right? Uh, in every way. Uh, and you have your company now and you have these challenges for yourself. So never, and you already kind of slipped one in and there, like enjoy running. Never I heard a thrower that enjoys running. Uh, what yeah. made you uh, try to half marathon? Uh, honestly, my, my wife ran five or six of them and she pressed me forever to do it. Yeah. And then I got into a, a bet a friend of mine from high school i had a bet with him for 500 bucks to see you could lose the most weight by last christmas oh wow so i was like okay i got this bet she's been harping on it so i go ahead and try it <laughs> mm. so i called people for advice and actually i got lucky because one of my old friends from the pro circuit he's the, the boss at the atlanta track club and put on they put on about 40 road races a year and they were hosting the Olympic trials followed by a, everybody's race the next day. Yeah. So we kind of did a deal where, where me and Gail Beavers prepped for this half marathon and they've used it as a kind of a publicity engine. Uh, there's some good, good stories about the process. And I actually, you know, my social media, I don't, I had not used it for a couple of years. I told them I would kind of reactivate it to track what I was doing. I made some videos and really enjoyed that process. So I'm kind of glad that I did that too, just so I have it as a historical archive. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, if anybody follows my Instagram or Twitter or jumps on there, yep. please follow. But uh, but you can see some good videos. Just go back in time to when the whole thing started and uh, you can see the change. It's it's a fun process and it it is something that I did not expect to 
I don't, let's get, let's make this clear. There are a lot of times when you're running, it, I'm not enjoying it, but I am enjoying the process, which you just don't get that in real everyday life. Yeah. Sports is the only place you're going to find that where you get to go through these processes. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to do another one because I need to beat my wife's PR. Okay. I ran a two hour, I went in two hours and two minutes. She's done. She's got her little trophy up there. 158.05 is what I got to beat. Ooh, so, okay. so I'm going to be doing another one. And when I do it, it's going to be faster than 158.05. <laughs> Otherwise, I can't ever live it down. So, yeah, this is what told me. Yeah, she told me flat out I would never beat her PR when I first started trying to train for this thing, and I almost beat it in Atlanta. And that course is ridiculously hilly. I, Atlanta I is climbed, hilly. Yes, we yeah. climbed twelve hundred feet in that race. Ooh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's crazy for a thrower. So, that's a lot <laughs> for anybody. Hills aren't easy. Hills aren't easy. But the other thing too, you know what's really interesting too, and. uh this would be interesting. I don't know how much with your 21,000 followers is it, how much ability you have to get feedback, but yeah, we, we got a good response as always. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, after this whole thing was over with, I talked to a friend of mine who's a big wig distance running agent and his brother's Meb, who's won the Boston and New York marathons. He was the UCLA, UCLA teammate of mine actually on that team. On the and we were just talking that the process was so good for me as a person and I got so much healthier that I really kind of want to try and see if there's a way I can encourage regular people and in particular former throwers mm-hmm. to give it a try and give them a, give them a, a way to do it. And we were, we're working on ideas for creating some kind of a, a, I don't know if a foundation is the right word, but something that, that will address that mm-hmm. with former throwers. Cause I see so many former throwers that could really use a shift in lifestyle. Yes. I, I could have used, I wasn't totally out of whack, but, but this really has changed everything for me. How, that's what I wanted to ask you. Uh, how enjoyable was that? Uh, and for me, this is, you know, uh, as, as an athlete as well, you're trying to break the records, right? You're trying to break, uh, lift more, throw further. Uh, and in that challenge, right? The, the process is where you get the most, uh, most joy from. How enjoyable was that for you, for a thrower who never, I don't know a thrower, a 22 meter thrower who had done a marathon, let's put it that way. Uh, how, how enjoyable was that for you to see how you can transition, how you can change your body and your mind, how you can, you know, beat your mind, basically, because you're, you were training at the 7,000 feet, <laughs> like you're, yeah. you're, up, you're doing five miles, you're doing runs, yep. half mile uh, sprints. Yep. Exactly. And, and for me, it was, it was a, an incredibly, rewarding process to get through it um and when you're talking about the physical changes i really enjoyed it's nice to lose weight mm-hmm. but it's really enjoyable because i use this watch and i literally track all of my data mm-hmm. and i've got a big record of it and i can look back at how terrible i was to start and then yeah. gradually seeing these moments and then it's just like throwing you, you're progressing and then you kind of flatten out and then you see another jump and then you, you know it's just like throwing yeah. but seeing the process of how uh, you can change your physiology is really cool. Yeah. And the other, the other thing is, is that I, and I told, I have a friend of mine that she was going to an Amy Begley who coaches me. And I, I told her the one thing that's also very interesting is, is 
how easy it is. Meaning throwing is a lot of work and lifting is a lot of work. And you do a hard lifting workout and you will literally be sore for five to seven days. And I was able to massively change my body. Uh, Physiological changes over a six month span, like probably more dramatic than since I was in junior high school. And I would do a workout and as soon as the workout was over, I would feel great until the next workout. You're not sore. You're not beat up. You're not miserable. It's like, wow, this is really easy. Once you just kind of gradually build into the process, mm-hmm. holy moly. And you, and you enjoy it because you feel awesome when it's done, these, these runs. And this is too, uh, uh, for everybody who's uh, listening to this, uh, and I checked out your Instagram account as well to do some research, and you were talking about having a coach for half marathon, right? So yeah, uh, tell us about importance of having somebody who is actually doing it, not just do it like oh, a, yeah. somebody who's just going to run through the wall, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and that's just it. It's, it's just like anything. The coach is there mostly to filter out your own stupidity. So she, she, was, she made sure that we just took everything gradually and balanced longer runs with, with interval stuff, with some hill stuff, and, you know, cross-training days, all these different things that I don't know how to do that. I mean, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even dream of – I mean, I kind of know now, but – I feel like I'd need to be coached for at least another few years before I'd be comfortable trying to write a running program for myself. Mm. And that should be a lesson, by the way, to any young person that thinks you know how to set up your program for lifting and throwing and all of that stuff when you're in high school or college. I'm telling you, I know I spent my life around sports and physiology. I was a bio major Mm. and I don't know anything that would make me think that I can maximize my results in running because it's yeah. just not something that that's that's in my base of knowledge yeah no that's uh they, they say uh how books are valuable right so books somebody writes uh, does research you know talk about ten thousand hours to be good at something right so somebody who wrote a book uh probably took more than ten thousand hours twenty thousand hours to get that knowledge into you know this this piece uh and you'll be you know you'll be crazy not to look into this person knowledge that they have done over the years and same with coaching right like coaches do so much good coaches do so much research so much experience uh you just gotta you know do your research and take your time to learn from somebody who already yeah. has done it right exactly exactly There's a lot of proud, proud throwers out there though <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is true too <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's tough yeah and when you when you have a very good talent and i'm sure you had this in, in the past as well you have very talented athlete who never got hurt in the past and like, I will never get hurt. I'm going to do, I'm going to throw every day, hundred throws. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah. Uh, you also, but you also do golf. I do. There's something you don't do. <laughs> uh, I don't mountain bike anymore after that crash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fool uh, me once. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm getting decent at golf. I actually enjoy that. I go out once a week with friends of mine and we play kind of two on two out there, but I've gotten good enough now where it's enjoyable to go to, to some of the harder courses and, and just try and not lose too many balls and things like that. Uh, actually, there's a, the, I just uh, reached out to a group called the, uh, uh, let me get the proper spelling of this, mm-hmm. Exterior Golf. Um, E-X-P-E-R-I-O-R golf mm. on they're on YouTube just a couple of guys but they've got you know lots of followers and lots of views yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I was just like, hey, I like golf. Want to do a video? So we're going to actually go up to to the TPC course in San Francisco together. My friend of mine runs that. And oh, nice. We're going to we're going to do a video for their golf channel just because <laughs> on YouTube. So Heck yeah. No, you and you see that too. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I saw your how to throw video and shop, but I'm excited about, to see this as well. Uh, yeah. Do you think, do you think um, throwing has connection with the golf too? Because you have to yes. kind of use the hips, right? Yeah, it, there's some subtle differences. I mean, again, with my vertical piece that I did at the end that I was talking about in relation to overhead lifting, yeah. it was a, I had to learn to work my way a little bit less vertical and laid back for golf. It took me a while to get there. But especially when I first retired, I actually – um was thinking about doing long drive and and i was cranking pretty good for a few weeks until my club broke and then i just kind of stopped really want to buy another oh, club yeah um, but that was very comfortable just transitioning into swing as hard as you can right yeah. uh, but now i just enjoy the the kind of the precision of it and yeah. and uh but you know what i really like is that, that all that hip and shoulder separation that i'm so comfortable with that most people aren't is just mm made it so much easier than I thought it would be. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's great to see that, that you are, you, you are taking life uh, every day. You, you're taking as many things as you can do. And it's great to see, like you said, more, a lot of throwers could benefit from uh, just a view of life. Like you, like Adam Nelson, who has, you know, he has his uh, uh, training center. He's trying to help, you know, young, young uh, men and women as well. Uh, I think uh, that's the biggest thing about sport, just learning how to learn, how to get yourself better. And then when you have a great results, why not help somebody as well? Right. Absolutely. And that's, and I think you hit on it too, is that, Hey, I enjoy doing lots of different things, you know? And the one thing I'm thankful for is that everything that I ever did in throwing, number one, it makes trying new things easier because I have a process of, of development that I can kind of fall back on in anything that we're doing with projects and, and learning to be a half marathoner. My wife made so much fun of me for my processes because I was going to do the program that my coach told me to do. And she was kind of, she was being coached by her too. And it just wasn't, she was doing it for fun. I was doing it to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but I enjoy that. And she's, yeah. she's like, we're just different, you know? Yeah. That's why you're an Olympian because you like doing that. Most people yeah. don't, don't think that way. Oh, um, it's- it's such a it's a such a weapon to have when you enjoy the process right when you get yourself like yourself like you will get yourself to the meet in a high school throw with the you know girls uh, high school girls and 80 80 year old people but you're you know why you're doing it uh i think that's where a lot of athletes kind of lose that not everything has to be spectacular right the process is hard you're getting injured you get yourself injured before olympics but you still go back at it and, you know, one silver medal. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and that's the other thing too, is not only does it not have to be spectacular and super important, it, it almost has to not be that way most of the time. Because mm. no, you, you, if it's always that important, if it's always that big, mm. then nothing's big. Yeah. So what, why, what, what's the fun with that? Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the world can't operate constantly at the same temperature. Yeah can't do it yeah you know you gotta front you gotta be cold before you can know that you're hot so 
to appreciate, right? To appreciate what you what you do at the end. Um, yep. That's that's a very good message. And then uh, thank you very much for sharing that because that's something uh, that I, I think a lot of young athletes have to hear. Uh, you'll see all these winners winning, and it's, it looks so easy, right? But but you don't know what, what what's behind the scene. How many hours that person he or she spent, right? How many injuries? How many by yourself? How many shot puts in the wall that you have to yeah. break? You know. Um, yeah. You don't see that on on a TV. You see they're just you know just standing on a podium. But what, exactly, what I think I think that, that you know it's important to tell the story of of what it takes. You know, because most people don't don't hear it, and when they do hear it, they're not really listening. Yeah. And you know, it needs to be reemphasized a thousand times for for young people to really understand what it takes. Yeah, you know if. I love that Joe Kovacs posted that squat video because yeah. he's showing you something. He's showing you the dark basement yeah. with his wife spotting him yeah. doing something completely ridiculous yeah. that I'm guessing, I'm hoping just <laughs> that he was sore for about a month, you know, but, yeah. but if you don't see that as a kid, all you see is him you know, winning the world championships. Yeah. You don't really know. You don't really know what everybody's going through. Yeah. behind closed doors to 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 get through it you know it's it and that's the whole that's the best part about anything in life yeah. is is how hard can you make it and then can i do it mm. that's all i care about how hard can it be and now can i go do it i love it i love it um and you know you, you had the courage to do that um and before before i let you go that's why i want to ask you too uh so how much do you think that hard work that you have done in high school and, and, and uh, college and then post, post uh, collegiate, how much did it influence, obviously you had so much uh, success with your, with your companies. Uh, did you get that, um, uh, how you say, the, uh, the, the motivation from Tribe? Like you said, it made, made it easier for you to do other things? I think I, think I got the tools from track. Mm -hmm. um, think I, the the motivation is a different animal right it motivation i think is comes out of awareness mm -hmm. so when when you just when you think someone isn't motivated as soon as they become aware of what they really want things can change mm -hmm. you know because i believe you can do anything within reason you can do anything you want to do if you're not doing it, then you probably didn't want to do it that much in the first place. You can do anything you want to do. So now look around and if you're not getting it done, did you really want to do it or did you just want to get the result at the end? And there's a difference between getting the result and doing it. Mm -hmm. So not just wanting the prize, but wanting the process, right? Yeah. yeah. Wanting to wanting to do it. You yeah. know, it, it's I love that. It's one thing. It's one thing to get an honorary doctorate from the university, and it's another thing to spend six years of your life getting a PhD. Yeah. They both say doctor. Yeah. But yeah. I don't need an honorary doctorate. I'll take the I'll take the six years of work because that means I did it. Oh, I love it. That's a that's a such a that's a such a good advice for for young coaches and young athletes. What you just said, and uh, it's a great great uh, way to finish this. I don't want to take too much of your time. But so, John, thank you so much. What is uh, what is one uh, best place to reach you? 
Um, um, follow on uh, Twitter and on Instagram at John Godina, G-O-D-I-N-A. And then uh, also, please, everybody check out Altis, A-L-T-I-S dot world. Go to the education section and buy that throw coach uh, education, even if you're just an athlete. It's mm. it's the steal of a century. It's almost charitable <laughs> what we've created there. So I'd say do those two things. Uh, we got a lot of cool stuff that I'm going to be posting on social in the next few months as well. So that'll be fun. And don't be afraid to direct message if you're a follower. Yeah, definitely. And I know this from experience, guys. Uh, John Godina, when I was an athlete in college still, I had questions when I finished. And you were always welcomed and you were always answering all that. You were very approachable. So uh, check it out, guys. John, thank you so much once again. You shared a lot of value with us here, a lot of help for young athletes. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Go Bruins. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. That was John Gardina, one of the best throwers in the world of all time. And like that was say in the boxing match and still NCA record holder in Shopput. If you like this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review and see you guys soon. Take care.